Hello and welcome to Dropping at the Movies. I'm Mike. And I'm Jose. And today we're talking about Glass, or Glass, which is by M. Night Shyamalan. Mm. It's the third of a trilogy that kind of sort of came out of nowhere. The first film was Unbreakable in 2000, mm. his second feature. Obviously the first was The Sixth Sense, which mm. made him a megastar. Um, and the second was Split, which was 16 years later. Yes. Um, and came as a bit of a surprise because people, the, the, the reveal that Split was related to Unbreakable happened in the final shot, mm. you know. So that was, uh, and that's one of Shyamalan's twist endings, I suppose, mm. um, kind of a twist. Um, and then it was kind of officially confirmed that something was going to be made of this when Glass was uh, revealed, which takes David Dunn and Elijah, what's his name, or Mr. Glass, from Unbreakable, and... James McAvoy's character from Split, mm. um, who has the 23 different personalities, and puts them into a mental institution together for people who believe they're superheroes. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of interesting, right? So, like, it's a kind of, it's a kind of a universe, you know? Mm. Like, universes have become a thing now. Mm. And, um, and so th- it's an interesting sort of... I-, I went back and watched Unbreakable the other day, uh, which I haven't seen in... 15 years mm. and I thought it was great you know I remember it being really good and I was glad to find that it held up uh-huh. and it's interesting how um, it's interesting how different it feels now you know this wasn't in an era when when superheroes were that huge there had been superhero movies and this was around the time X-Men and Spider-Man were starting to happen mm. but um, you know the, the world is so different now and it's really weird to, to, to I mean, this is also pre 9 11. Mm. You know, like there's a whole thing in that film about how, um, you know, this city's been through so much tragedy, we need a superhero. Mm. So I kind of anticipated all the superhero things that were, that were going to come in the wake of 9 11, like mm. wanting to constantly rewrite history in a way. Anyway, um, we might talk a little bit about that, but that's the, that's the, the, fun, that's the vague background mm. to what's going on in Glass, mm. which is that it's taken 19 years to complete a superhero trilogy. Mm. Um, well, I guess we'll get into the plot and things. What did you make of it? Um, I I liked it. I liked it very much. It's it's kind of scared me at moments. Um, I thought what was what was most amazing uh, was um, James McAvoy's performance. That's really what stood out for me. He's right? great. Um, and the quickness of his changes and you know the fact that he can show you the the change from personality to personality with with nothing with just his own kind of facial features and that you know he makes you cognizant and aware of which person he's performing at each instance i think it's really like a tour de force performance it's meant to be um but he really succeeds and and um he's absolutely you know both charismatic and skillful uh and really he puts the others um not to shame because actually i think uh, samuel jackson is fantastic as well even though for the first half he's basically playing a samuel jackson blow-up doll yeah (laughs) um but you know but he's he gives a kind of a a minimalist kind of star performance samuel jackson um, and he's he's very alive and skillful. Uh, Bruce Willis is really put in the shade. He doesn't, you know. I mean, it's partly his role, I imagine, mm-hmm. you know. But also, 
he's kind of damped down somehow. So actually, what stood out for me most was really, you know, the performances. Yeah, I kind of, um, I mean, there are a few kind of, you know, cinematic kind of things. There's that those 360 degree shots when they're all kind of lined up together, um, but nothing. Stays I, I, with I, me. <laughs> I, really, I really enjoy actually the way that it's filmed and the way uh-huh. that I love. There's one thing that struck me. You're right. You're absolutely right about James McAvoy for one thing. Mm. Um, yeah, his performance is incredible. And what and what's really good is that the direction privileges it. There are times when you get to see him change from one personality to another in mm. a shot. Mm. You know, within the same shot, mm. and he does it like that because there's this thing. There's this setup about how it, um, there are there are lights in his room that they flash at him to get him to change personalities if he's getting too dangerous or whatever. Yes. And so they do that to him all the time, and he's constantly switching between these personalities at random. Yes. And he, it's incredible how well he sells it. Yes. You know? And he's he brilliant. Bodies, he is brilliant. Uh-huh. He is. Um, but I love the way it's shot as well. I, I, um, I don't remember the 360 shot you're referring to in particular, but um, certainly I recall towards the end of the film, I guess, spoiler territory right away, you know, um, there's a there's a superhero showdown <laughs> at the end of the film of sorts. So they get out into the the sort of front lawn of this of this asylum, and there are these shots that are just just nicely composed. Everything is nicely composed. So you have Bruce Willis on the left of frame, on the extreme left of frame, and uh, James McAvoy on the extreme right of frame, facing each other. Mm. And uh, as I recall, it uh, um, Samuel Jackson is in the middle, kind of watching them, mm. not in between them, but sitting in the foreground in front of the camera right and like this is not a revolutionary shot this is not original but it's it's just very nicely composed to set up this opposition and the mm. fight that's going to happen you know mm. something that I think you kind of you don't necessarily see an awful lot um, there's a really brilliant single take shot in that fight where uh, McAvoy is attacking uh, uh, Willis and it's with the van with the two that Willis has hidden the two sort of workers in to keep them safe mm. and the shot is inside the van so it starts off looking outside and you see Willis being pushed up against the van mm. and then the camera moves and, uh, within the van so you don't see it but then you see a punch like land on the van mm. you know so like you don't so actually you would kind of you really feel the impact of it mm. because he's denting a van so strong as it's yes <sighs> but it's the movement of the camera and, and the way that it, it orchestrates things in single takes mm. is really nice and he does the same thing in in um, in Unbreakable as well. There's the first shot I recalled, or one of the first shots, is this setup on the train where you see, and actually it's used in Glass a little bit, really nicely. The shot of David Dunn on the train leaning out, looking out the window. Mm. Remember, it's 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 really nicely moved into in this in flashback. Yes. Um, and the camera again moves in that in a way that is quite filmmakery. Right, like it's very consciously a single take shot where you're moving the camera left and right, left and right to look at different characters, but nonetheless it is elegant, and that's something I really like about Shyamalan's direction um, that he he there is thought behind it. Sure, there is thought behind it, and he's very good at 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 scaring you or making you uneasy, right? And you know, I kind of. I'm not quite sure why, how he does it, really. Um, I'd need to kind of look at it again and look at it more closely. You know, but there were things like, for example, in the asylum where, you know, just the re- the reveal that Bruce Willis is opposite the James McAvoy character, mm. you know, it's kind of, you know, you it, it's, 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 
it's a revelation that kind of becomes threaded with threat, right? Yeah. Uh, and kind of and with anticipation because you know that something's going to come out of that. And, and it's done through again a really nice, thoughtful composition of looking through the two doorways. That's right. With the two characters in there, it's it's lovely. Yeah. So I think it has elements like that. On the other hand, I'm just kind of not very convinced by it all. You know, um, mind you, I had thought that I had seen all of the films previously, and actually, in fact, I hadn't. Right. So and then. I, I tried to watch Unbreakable, but um, I bought it. But I, I, it actually lost me half halfway through. Okay. You know, um, and then I tried to watch Split, and for another reason, <laughs> halfway through, uh, my Netflix. I've been having problems with my broadband, and my Netflix just went oh, off. Right. right. But that so, kept your attention so, more than Unbreakable. Yes. Um, and it, it could be just be mood or, you know, it could just well, be distraction. I think, I think in, in um, the wrong mood, Unbreakable is a slow burner. Yeah. It really is. Um, that's for sure. And yeah, Split is more more conventional, more conventionally exciting. It's more of a thrill, you know, girls sort of in chains and what have you. Mm. Um, but, and obviously it's got that fantastic performance again from from James McAvoy. Yeah. Switching those so characters. one of the things, I mean, just mentioning that, you know, it's extraordinary how good Shalaman is in getting performances out of the main stars, and actually how poor those scenes with the girls feel. It feels like you know a zero budget teen slasher film. Yeah, you know. There's an element of that. Uh, so I mean, I have problems with that just in terms of it's 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 really not very imaginative, and the, the whole kind of the damsel in distress sort of um, sort of. It's there to titillate to yes. some degree. You know, young girls in sort of state of undress, being chained up. It's. I I don't understand the point of the film. Split. Uh, yeah. No glass. 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 Um, you know, I kind of. So so, it's been all these years in the making. You know, it's kind of like the third in a sequel, and I'm trying to think. You know, what is the point of the film? What is it trying to tell us? And obviously, one of the things that it's trying to tell us is. You know, the world is like a comic book. There are heroes, right? <laughs> you know, and so. But I think it's kind of I, when when Unbreakable came out in two thousand, there was talk about it being the first of a trilogy. I remember Willis uh, saying, you know, that he thinks he thought at the time M Night Shyamalan um, was working on a trilogy, but you know, Shyamalan was very secretive and obviously went on to work on various other things. So it wasn't for a long time before it came into being. So who knows what that trilogy would have looked like back then you know but I think there's there is a real response to the way that cinema has changed in glass mm. because there for one thing there's direct reference to Marvel yeah there's this there's that thing about the the giant tower which, yeah and that's in Philadelphia it's meant to be right yeah and it's and it's this thing about you hear it on the news and you see it on a magazine and it's like this this great new tower that is the new kind of marvel of of, of the city um and what you're what you're basically being being teased at is there's going to be like a King Kong ending to the film. You know they're going to have a fight in the tower or and, a Spider-Man or, or yeah that sort of thing, right? Yeah. Um, and there's one point I, I I think it's it's very deliberate and very funny actually. There's a point where um, uh, Samuel L. Jackson he's he's the he's the guy who is the comic book nerd who believes that comic books again this was something from Unbreakable who believes that comics are not just nice entertaining stories but they are a continuation of True stories of superhuman beings, beings that, that have, people have told stories about gods that walk amongst us 
for thousands of years, and that's what comics are a version of. Mm. And the and the the kind of thesis of the film is basically that that is true. Um, and so he's the one who kind of obsessed with all of the comic uh, knowledge. Um, says you know the 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 final fight has to have has to take place at this building. Mm. And there's this thing about how um, the three of the floors of the building are dedicated to a chemical factory, and it's like and so we're going to blow it up. Aha! Yeah. You know, like, mm. it, like a real sort of uh, hackneyed. Uh, uh, sort of thriller superhero nonsense stuff and I think the film is very deliberately playing on that there's also a thing about how the magazine that you see the magazine cover that the building is on describes the building as a true marvel you see that I did see that you know so it and so I think that one of the ideas of the film is to sort of say um it's nonsense how marvel treats superheroes but this is like real super like if superheroes were real this is it it's like the film promises you this King Kong ending or this super, super uh, superhero movie ending, and then it says like actually in the real world these get sorted out on front lawns. These yes. fun, you know, as, <laughs> I think that's I think that's kind of fun. Like you know, because it's very deliberately promising you that, and then you get nowhere near that tower. You know, I yeah. think that's kind of fun. There's nowhere near the budget. <laughs> well, maybe. Um, um, but which, which, I mean, which actually, but, I it's think a star it, vehicle. It's got three stars in it. Uh, still, I, uh, my understanding is that these all three of these films have been made on a very small budget. Uh, I think, uh, look it up, but I think it was like nine million or twelve million um, for Split, and I think something similar. Well, Glass was twenty million. Yeah, they've they've taken a pay cut to do it, haven't they? Um, or they've gone on percentages or whatever. Well, but, uh, same difference. <laughs> yeah, but that's a low budget film <clears throat> yeah, for an action spectacle, right? That's true, actually. Well, it's not an action spectacle. I mean, this is the thing. Well, but it kind it's, of it's is. A, it's a drama and a sort of no. It's got a psychological. Lot of, it's got a lot of action moments. Yeah. You know, and the you know, but that might be the reason for filming the finale on a lawn, you know, rather than on this wondrous skyscraper. Sure. But I mean I think it's like it's not just it's not just a budgetary thing, like there's a kind of there is a project there of saying like like superheroes are what Marvel does is nuts. Real superheroes f- fight on front lawns. It's, I, I, there's something there's something in that. Well because um, there's also a thing about so the, the 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 twist in this film, it has a Shyamalan twist, as they all do. And the twist in this film is that the um psychologist character, who's played by um Sarah Paulson. Sarah Paulson. So she tries to kind of convince them out of their delusions of being super-powered. But then the reveal is that she knew all along that superheroes are totally real. And she's part of an organisation that is trying to keep them away from everybody else. And there's a a line that she has. I I made a note. I didn't make a note of the exact line. But um, there there are two points that she makes in this one line of dialogue, basically, where she says... Um... When superheroes, when you guys show up, you always bring destruction, and it always escalates. And that's two. There's two points there that I think are really interesting sort of responses to to the superhero explosion of the last 15, 20 years. Mm. Because on the one hand, you've got the destruction, and people talked, for instance, about Man of Steel, yes. and how in that film, you know, it was uh, Metropolis is just raised to the ground in that film, and that made people go, "How many people died in this?" You know, you just didn't see them, which which then led to subsequent films saying, "Well, we've made sure to get everyone. Like, we're going to have a fight in a place that's been deserted. Mm. You know, so no one can die here." Or you had the whole thing in in the Avengers films about how um, they were they felt very bad about dropping a city on you know, mm. on the ground, or whatever. Um, 
so that became a deal, you know. And then the other side is the escalation, which I think we've kind of talked about before, where if you look at the first Iron Man movie, when superheroes as a, as a modern thing were really kicking off, as a, as a modern universe type thing were kicking off, Iron Man was a guy with a fancy suit who can fly around yeah. punching people. And the last movie, they're in space, fighting through space and time across galaxies, and one guy snaps his fingers and half the universe dies. Yeah. So, like, as escalation goes, things have got out of proportion, right? That used to happen in comic books as well. So, so that's kind of... Like, there's something in that line of dialogue that Sarah Paulson has. Like, we're trying to stop this shit from happening. Mm. <laughs> like, nip it in the bud. There's, like, there's, there's two direct responses to what... The whole world of superhero mythos and fiction has become. Sure, fine, <laughs> you know, but the film itself, like, yeah. you know, it's kind of clever and so on. But actually, I, f- I feel there's a lot of things wrong with it. All of the scenes with the young girls chained, you know, uh, um, by the James McAvoy character uh, seemed like really cheap and exploitative you know and then kind of the other two main female characters are the Sarah Paulson character and Sarah Paulson herself is I like her very much I mean she's got these kind of liquid eyes you know and and a kind of a nice stillness but really I mean she's the villain of the piece and then you have that young elfin girl who appeared in one of the previous ones she was in Split yeah. she was in Split you know, who is such a cliche. I mean, you know, it's it's kind of a character that I'm sure, you know, would, would if if feminists would were watching these films, it would upset them, right? Like Stockholm Syndrome for James McAvoy, basically. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, so, so... You don't know him like I know him. I know. basically her character. It's kind of... It's very problematic. So, you know, I think kind of... It's a film that has to me had a lot of pleasures right and that kind of and they basically kind of revolved around the performances uh and also this sense of you know the way that uh Shyamalan creates moods and fear and there are moments that are like genuinely uh, that jolt you yeah and and so on so I liked all of that very much but I also think that it's a very insubstantial film yeah I think that's probably true I mean um, but I did enjoy it throughout, basically. Yes. And um, I, I think it's it's interesting to see... For one thing, I couldn't predict anything. Mm. I didn't feel like I could predict anything. I really didn't know where this was going to go. Mm. And, it, and not in the way that like people watch a Shyamalan movie and they, want to, and they want to anticipate the twist. Not like that. I just mean really the general thing of really what is going to happen. Is mm. it going to turn out that they're not really superheroes? And what's the explanation going to be? Is it going to turn out that they are? And what's going to happen? I, I It was be, because I hadn't... I hadn't seen much, like, really kind of specifically like this. I thought, I just don't know where he'll go with this. And that was well, a very exciting place to be. To be fair, I mean, I kind of... I saw this in a very uninformed way. So, uh, you know... And I suppose this is my own relationship with uh, Shyamalan because, you know, I, I somehow felt that I had seen <laughs> these films. Right? Yeah, well, yeah. I know and actually... Mean. And I, it turns out that I hadn't, right? So, so I kind of went to see this this third film without having seen the previous two. So then you wonder, like, you know, in what kind of a position am I in, really, to discuss the film and evaluate it and so on. So all I can go is, you know, by my experience of it, I actually felt I, you know, that um, I, I, having, having seen the bits of the previous two films that I saw, 
Uh, I actually... Well, I might have missed. Who knows? I must have missed. Um, anyway, I enjoyed the film very much as well. It was entertaining. But I really... The, the thing that I came out with uh, was, you know, two things, really. Isn't James McAvoy absolutely great? You know? Mm. And secondly... Uh, 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 Samuel L. Jackson deserves his paycheck. <laughs> those are those are the two things, really. I was glad when he sort of came to life because I thought, how long is he going to be this this dummy for? And then it turns out that he's been faking, uh, taking his pills and being um, uh, sort of catatonic the whole time. Yeah, actually, he's he's alive and you know smart. Yes. Um, so it's lovely when he kind of he he comes to life and then he does that thing of of teaming up with because he's the guy who has whose bones break and he's in a wheelchair. And he teams up with the guy who is superhuman, like properly superhuman. Yes. Turns into the beast and kind of gets him to do his bidding. Yes. And um, I, I think it's beautifully shot. I mean, I, I don't want to overstate that, but I, I think it's really nice and interesting to look at. And mm. I like I, I like the way that Shyamalan uses the camera. I like that in basically every film of his that I've seen. Mm. Even the ones that people don't really like. I really like The Village, for instance, which I know people are really down on. Mm. But I, I, to be fair, I didn't see that when it came out. I saw that. Um, in the last year or so, and I found that a really fascinating. I mean, basically, it's a, it's a film about about Afghanistan and the Iraq War mm. and kind of American fear uh, it, it, around sort of two thousand three, two thousand four, and wanted to kind of shut yourself off and just not listen to things. And I think, like, as a metaphor, it's fucking brilliant. I think it's a really interesting piece of work, though it has significant problems. But what people will kind of always pick up on is like, well, it logically makes no sense. How would they not know that? Blah blah blah. Yeah. And um, that's just annoying. Like it's not. It's kind of not buying into the concepts a little bit. Um, yes. This doesn't have anything that that smart. I don't think. Um, and it, it does feel a little bit seat of the pants in a way because, like, um, it seems that like it, the, the, the trilogy has now come to fruition after such a long time that it's kind of like um, the stuff that you see in this to some extent can't possibly have been in the in the original plan because like I say there are things that feel like such a deliberate response to the way the world and the way the cinema has changed um, and things that maybe aren't deliberate but just kind of feel natural like there's there's a feeling in this film of the normality of superheroes that I think has to have come out you, you, that wouldn't exist had this film been made in say 2006 because because the 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 way in which the Marvel and DC movies treat superheroes as everyday things, mm. um, and like celebrities and what have you, like that like they treat like there's that scene in, um, I don't know one of the later Marvel movies where Thor and Loki are sort of standing in uh, some street in New York. I think it's called Thor Ragnarok. They're standing in some street in New York, and then like some girls come up to them and say, "Oh, can we have a selfie?" There's a thing in that of like you know superheroes are totally normal in this world, real superheroes, mm. and like. That that has needed ten years of work mm. to get to that point, and I think that's a feeling that you get in this. There's a feeling of 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 the, the normality that's of superheroes and like um, the the way in which Bruce Willis, in particular, conceives of himself as a superhero, um, feels like it like it has been normalized. Like right at the start, you're introduced with him and his son who's the same actor from Unbreakable, which I think is great, and you'd recognise him. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're talking about the news reports about him, and people call him the Overseer. And there's this thing about his nickname, and it's a joke, right? There's a mm-hmm. thing about, he's, he's called the Overseer now, and he much prefers it to Tiptoe Man or something. 
you know, and he says like, "Never call me Tiptoe Man again." So like, it, they turn it into this joke, but nonetheless, there is there's a normalization of superheroes within the real world that this film just kind of integrates and uses that is a consequence of the way that superhero movies have have dominated for so long. Anyway, I don't really know what my point is, but just I think it's interesting. I think it, there was there were interesting things to look at and consider the whole time, the whole way through this film as a response to 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 Marvel and DC and 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 that sort of thing. I don't know. I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know either because um, you know the whole response to Marvel and DC has also been through independent comic books, and of course, you know there are entire sequences set in comic book shops. You know, and there are references kind of to, you know, the comic books. Mm. Um, so, so I don't know. And I, and I think that uh, certainly what's done here is it kind of normalizes um, the superpowers and allows them to be interpreted in other ways, right? You know, so, so to, to have, um, you know, to be stronger or... Um, to have to be you know to be able to kind of uh, read people um, it's something that it's almost like kind of on the verge of human yeah it's just kind of like one step mm. you know it's like a skill or what they used to be called a grace <laughs> yeah that people were graced with a particular skill right so you know and even to make kind of an illness a split personality into you know something that kind of endows you with a particular strength which is really kind of you know the way that um, in common discourse is often talked about in relation to particular kinds of autism, you know. So kind of, you know, you ha- you it makes you less able in some areas and it increases abilities in another, right? So the film treats superpowers along ways that are kind of legible or understandable in mm. quotidian life, in normal life, yeah. Um, so I think, but that was also the case with a lot of independent kind of comic books. I don't think it's, I don't think in doing that it's doing anything particularly new, no. the film, you know. Um, so, but in the context of the films around it, I think it's interesting to to look at. It's, a, it's, a, it's, it feels audible and different. Yes, it offers you something, something um, quite different. I'm kind of, you know, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it very much, but I also felt that it it lacked depth. And also that certain sequences were just cheap. Mm. <laughs> I don't know how else to describe it, yeah. you know. Um, and that actually the whole of um, the relationships were really superficial. I wanted more depth from the father-son relationship. I wanted more depth from the mother-son relationship. Mm. And I wanted, you know, something more interesting from the relationship of uh, the James McAvoy character to his analyst. You know, I think all of those things are quite superficial. Yeah, Sarah Paulson has quite an unenviable job in this, I think. She reminded me rather of Skylar, played by Anna Gunn from Breaking Bad. Mm. There was this kind of discourse, I say discourse, it was just idiots, saying uh, basically that Skylar was a bitch and they didn't like her. Mm. And the reason was that she was the character who kind of ruined everyone's fun. Mm. Because you had Walter White going off, making meth, blowing people up, killing them. And then you had Anna Gunn, Skylar, going, 
you have a child and a wife and a newborn baby. Like, you, this is not okay. You are endangering us. Yes. Um, and she was a character who basically was the reality check on all of this. And so people really hated her because mm. they stopped their hero. She stopped their hero having fun. And um, Sarah Paulson rather reminded me of that because I think she kind of kills the momentum of the movie sometimes. Uh, I mean, I'm not proud of like having responded this way, but I basically thought whenever she came on screen, I thought, oh, for God's sake, not her again. Because... She was a character before the before the reveal where she's she's just the psychoanalyst trying to convince them that they're not superheroes. You see them interacting or kind of just noticing each other in the building, wondering how they're going to react to things and how they're going to develop. And it's all very interesting. And then she pops up and she goes, logic, 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 science, 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 psychiatry, psychiatry. And you go, oh, this is so boring. Stop me. You're just stopping me having fun. Well, I think, it's, I think it's more than that. I think this is a director who has problems with women. You know, all of the female characters in this film are really dodgy and questionable. And, um, yeah. So, you know, kind of one one character would be maybe a mistake or a, or a <laughs> fault. But all of them, you know, is is a real issue. The, um, the actress who plays uh, Elijah's mum, Charlene Woodard, is 65. And Samuel L. Jackson is 70. <laughs> <laughs> that's what happens when you're a star yeah. <laughs> it's amazing isn't it um, there's one more thing which is the very ending which is where they release all this footage there was this, again it's part of the twist ending um, that uh, Sarah Paulson has put all these cameras around the um, the asylum to catch anyone getting up to anything and then it's Elijah is able to use those against her by getting all this footage of them being superheroes mm. um, and uh, doing kind of extraordinary things, and they release it to the internet. And there's this scene at Grand Central Terminal right at the end of the film, I think it's the last shot, or last few shots, um, which are the... Because the, th- the three superheroes, or super-powered characters, not necessarily heroes, have died. They're killed by this organisation. Mm. Um, so there's a real sense of finality to the trilogy, which I like. Um, and they're kind of three, you know, sort of accomplices: the mother and the the the, the former prisoner girl mm. and the son um, are releasing all this footage that Elijah has liberated for them. Um, and they sit in Grand Central Terminal watching people receive this on their phones. And there's this thing of like people go, oh my god, you know. And that to me was the most unrealistic thing about the film because you see some of this footage and it's things like David Dunn throwing a bloke into a car, mm. you know, people being really strong, uh, you know, James McAvoy sprinting, sort of, sort of running like a dog across yeah. the field, across the lawn. And, um, and this was all footage that, like, basically I thought if I got this on my phone, I'd go, oh, that's weird. Yes. And then put it down. <laughs> and no one would respond like this. You know? Or, or you go, well, that's clearly uh, fake. Uh, you know, no one would respond like this, going, oh, "Superheroes are real." Yeah, you know, that was actually the most unrealistic thing about the film for me. <laughs> people would respond like that. That didn't show a very nuanced understanding of, kind of human psychology. Uh, um, but let's not um, lose sight. Really, <laughs> I mean, I thought it was really fun to watch, um, and I enjoyed it very much. Uh, and it's great to see all the three stars again. Um, I wish uh, Bruce Willis had been given, you know, something, something, more yeah, more mm-hmm. um, worthy of him in a way. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was still great to see Samuel L. Jackson and James McAvoy is fantastic, and it's worth seeing the film just for him actually. Uh, so that said, I think it's 
you know, I, I, <clears throat> I'm, I'm not a fan. Oh, that's interesting. Because, I mean, you definitely had fun. You know, I, do, so, I mean, you saw it before I did, and you texted me saying, oh, you'll like it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, um, and I did. So, um, well, but it's kind of, you know, so we've often talked about kind of films that you might not enjoy so much, but that somehow grow in your mind afterwards, right? Well, this is the opposite. I mean, I kind of, you know, I really enjoyed it. And actually, kind of, you know, I haven't thought very much about it. Uh, and it kind of, and part of the reason is, you know, there's not much, I didn't give me much to think about, and it kind of, like, diminishes upon thinking about it for me. Yeah, yeah I guess that's true, but I, I like, I, I like, um, I like Shyamalan's use of the camera, um, you know, I think, I, it's, it's a joy for me to, to watch the way he moves the camera, even if sometimes it's very noticeable and you think this is a real film student sort of move in a way yes. like it's not necessary sometimes but you think no I like it though yes. I like a little bit of deliberation right you know and a little bit of just putting yourself putting yourself on screen and so, like the you know, depth of feel and staging things in depth and things as, as mm. well you know like, like when um, when Elijah sort of sets um, uh, sets Kevin on all the guards and kind of just wheels away, and it's that thing of like the cool guy walking away from the explosion type of shot. But mm. you know, who cares? Right? It's nice. It's nicely shot and nice to look at and everything. And I liked all that sort of thing. And um, there's one final thing, which is which is not really about the film; it's about Night Shyamalan. Which is because we looked up his um, the pronunciation of his name before recording this, mm. because uh, I wanted to be sure. Um, and you know, I'm pretty sure it's Shyamalan, as we've mm. been saying it. Um, and this is this is the way I'd heard it years ago. But there, there's a thing about people um, for a long time, basically just not taking him seriously, not taking his and, and making a joke out of his name. And the reason that this is kind of cropped up for me is because it came up on Twitter, I don't know, six months ago maybe. Mm. And um, I guess I guess they'd released a trailer for Glass or something, and so his name was in the press again. And um, people, Americans, were referring to him as M. Shamalama Ding Dong. And that's terrible. I, I mean, I thought actually this is like, I really, really hated that because basically oh, people so racist. Well, <laughs> people people really called them out on on being racist. Uh. And this is the thing that really annoyed me more than the racism, is um, they said no, I'm not calling him Shamalama Ding Dong because he's Indian. I'm calling him Shamalama Ding Dong because he's a Ding Dong. And I'm like, okay, when have you ever used the word ding dong in an insulting way for mm. anyone? You, no one uses, no one does that. Mm. No one has ever called anyone a ding dong. Not, at least not, not well, after I'm they sure turn they six. It's it, just, used, it used to be a term. The reason but, that they do it is because they don't, they, because they have no respect for him. They wouldn't, yeah, any other, any other, why is it just him who gets the funny name? Because he's got that foreign name, that's why. Exactly. You know, that's so. why. And it really pissed me off. And so like the lying, basically, like being caught and then making up a shit lie. Mm. Piss me off more even than the racism. Well. Piss me off anyway. I mean, I think I, I, he's made some not very good movies and Night Shyamalan, um, but I, I, I do think a lot of them actually get less respect than they deserve. Well, the interesting thing also is that he's got um, huge fans, huge fans. He's 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 got very he, he's got fans of his work that are very, um, not only enthusiastic, but studied, right? So, you know, uh, uh, what you're saying in relation to his shots or something, you know, there are fans of his work that actually kind of pay great attention to that, that kind of, you know, have studied it, that put up uh, frame grabs 
online and things like that. So, you know, mm. kind of, yeah, those, the, the, there's an enthusiasm uh, for the way that he films um, that I myself really don't see, but I'm certainly kind of open to. You know. And also I think his writing and his and his story kind of structure and things or just the way he wants to the way he wants a story to go. Uh, he's kind of one of those directors who has a bit of a name and um you kind of obliquely think like, Oh, what if he did a Marvel movie or something? And you go, actually he probably wouldn't because he'd want to do something just a a little bit less formulaic. Even well, if uh, even even if what he comes up with isn't very good in the end, you always feel like he wants to do something interesting. I've heard the argument that actually you know, part of the reason why his middle films aren't so good is because they're really studio, big studio mm. productions, and that actually that that constrained. You yeah, know. he had to do Avatar: The Last Airbender. I think I didn't see that one. Yeah, I saw it. I like it. Yeah. Um, so um, and you know, kind of, I've read that these films are made kind of independently, and they're made in Philadelphia, right where mm. he lives, right, and you know, on a low budget and so on, and actually, kind of, that makes it that makes it you know, quite interesting and ostensibly, you know, maybe part of the reason why the films have gotten better, though, you know, I'm not in a position to say, is because over the last few, because he's worked with these budgets, he's had control. I would imagine so. You can tell, I think. Uh And, yeah. Okay, well, let's wrap this up. Last words. The twist is, I hated it. (laughs) (laughs) Glass on glass. I like it. I, I have fun, and you know, it's it's a little, it's something just a little bit different, and um, you know, just a little bit offbeat. Yes. And you get to see some good actors do acting. And and McAvoy is better than good. He is astonishing. Mm. Yeah, he's great. All right. So uh, this is eavesdropping at the movies. Thank you very much for listening. We are on iTunes, SoundCloud, and YouTube to listen to. On social media, we're on Facebook and Twitter at Eavesdrop Movies, and the website is eavesdroppingatthemovies.com. Thank you very much. Bye-bye.